Uh, well, today we are going to uh, continue for a few minutes in our study of the book of Acts, and we've come to a very interesting place. We're in Acts chapter 22. Last week, or a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, oh, uh, my thanks to Peter. Uh, oh, he's teaching. See, what a servant. He's teaching the kids today. He gave a message last week. I heard good things about that and appreciated that uh, very, very much. Okay. So two weeks ago, I, we were talking about Paul going to Jerusalem and, you know, and having the interaction there with James. And, and uh, we said, uh, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, meaning that Paul was misunderstood even during his life, right? Uh, that uh, the rumor was is uh, that he was telling Jews out of the diaspora not to circumcise their children and you know, basically don't be Jewish anymore. And, uh, and then there was the issue uh, of his interactions with, uh, with non-Jewish people, with Gentiles. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, he, uh, in order to demonstrate that he was still just as Jewish, uh, you know, in this day as he was uh, in, in the beginning, that uh, he he went to the temple and uh, you know paid uh, the vow for the uh, the people that he was with and uh, you know and uh, demonstrating that he's part of the Jewish uh, world even though uh, he was a Messiah follower even though he was outside of the uh, outside of the land. One of the things we learned is the relationship of James. Uh, and Paul and the other apostles, which was, you know, uh, very, very, uh, very important and understanding that, you know, the, the Jewish uh, context of the whole story, right? Well, where we left off is where um, Paul is uh, in, the, uh, in the temple. Uh, and then we read uh, in chapter 21, uh, actually, in verse 27, it says, And when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, uh, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the multitude and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the, this is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the, and the Torah and this place. And besides, like on top of it, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And all the city was aroused and the people rushed together. And taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. So here uh, there were rumors about him. There were falsehoods being taught about him. And, uh, and so Jews from Asia that, uh, you know, heard about him or had seen him perhaps in Ephesus, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, what's he doing here? What, he's def you know, he speaks against us. He speaks against this place. He's defiling the temple, right? All these uh, accusations that, of course, uh, you know, uh, were not true. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're ready to kill him, but then they realize that he is, um, uh, th that he is actually a Roman citizen. Uh, and it's very interesting because they actually think he's someone else. Uh, and so if you go down to verse uh, 37, it says here, And as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? Uh, and he said, do you know Greek? <laughs> he, had a, he had a very interesting sense of humor, don't you think? Okay. Then you are not the Egyptian, you know, who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness, right? They think he is this, um, you know, this rebellious person. They think that he is this Egyptian that has stirred up the city you know, in the past. And now he tells them who he is. He says, I am a Jew of Tarsus, of Cilicia, 
a citizen of no insignificant city. I beg you also, I, uh, allow me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people and his hand, with his hand, uh, and when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect. So he speaks to them in Hebrew, uh, and some would say that maybe it was even Aramaic because that was actually the, the language that everybody, that everybody spoke, uh, the Jewish people spoke. But anyway, uh, so it's interesting. He says, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Jew, and I'm from, uh, of Tarsus, of Cilicia, a, a citizen of no insignificant city. So he's saying, I am not who you think I am. Okay? And he's go, he's, he's going to, uh, uh, tell them, of course, that he's a Roman citizen. But here, you have to ask yourself, well, why would they let him speak? Maybe because they thought, well, you're, since you're not this Egyptian, since you're not this, uh, you know, this person who's stirring, who, who we know to be a person who stirs things up, since you're not that person, that maybe you'll quell the crowd by speaking to them. You'll calm them down. Because if there was anything that the Romans hated, it was disturbances. It was disturbances. And so Paul now has the opportunity to speak to the people. Now, from here on out, for the rest of the book of Acts, he is not going to be a free man anymore. Uh, his days of traveling and visiting congregations and planting them and all that, that's over now. And now he, uh, now he is under arrest, and he's going to remain under arrest, and he's going to end up in Rome. And throughout the rest of the, of the book of Acts, he's going to have opportunity to speak to the people at large in Jerusalem, to the Sanhedrin, and to a variety of uh, Roman magistrates and authorities. Okay? Uh, and then he ends up in, in Rome. So if you ever study the book of Acts, you know that the speeches play very important role, play a very important role. They're not just part of the history. Like here's a speech that somebody gave. But Luke includes these, this like, believe it or not, uh, they're not all long, but there are over 35 speeches in the book of Acts. Some of them are just a few verses long, uh, but it's very, very interesting. But especially these speeches, Luke, first of all, he includes them. It's a lot of verses. If you add up all the verses of the uh, speeches of Paul compared to the verses of his journeys, you will see that this, the amount of space that the speeches take up is extraordinary. Now, of course, just like the discourses of Yeshua, these must be summaries because if you read it out loud, you'd be done in about a minute and a half, right? If you just read the chapter, right, it wouldn't take very long. So these are summaries, basically, of these speeches. And as we will see in chapter 22, 23, 24, and, and following, there's a lot of repetition in these speeches, and Luke does that on purpose because he wants us to understand some you know, important truths. When you read all of the speeches of Acts, what you learn is you learn how they understood the good news. You, you understand what the uh, you, you know what the apostles understood to be the good news and what they shared to be uh, uh, good news, uh, and also they bring cohesion to the story because there's a lot going on in Acts. If you go back to the very beginning, you got you got Peter, right? Uh, well, you have the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, and then Peter gives this big speech on that day of Shavuot. Uh, and now many years have gone by, and, and uh, it's actually a little bit of a different situation that Paul is facing, as we'll see here. One of the things that we're going to see is one of the difference between the speech in Acts 2 and the speech in Acts 22 is what was bothering everybody. It's really uh, something very different, okay? So we want to begin here in chapter 22 by remembering what got everybody upset that Paul should be arrested. It was 
this accusation that he was teaching against our people and teaching against the Torah and teaching against the temple. And on top of it, the accusation of allowing uh, Gentiles to just, you know, to just come in the temple. Okay. Uh, and so this is why everyone was upset. I, one thing I did not say in what upset everybody. Now this, this was certainly the underlying issue, but it wasn't at the forefront. And that is whether Yeshua is the Messiah or not. It was more of a, uh, an issue of loyalty to our people or being a traitor to our people, you know, I, uh, or, or not. Uh, and so that, uh, that is very helpful in understanding what he's going to say here. Now, this really relates to us. I mean, this relates to us in a lot of ways. Because in the 21st century, uh, may I suggest that we are still thought of as people who are teaching against our people, uh, teaching against the Torah, teaching against the temple, or the, you know, the, the rituals, one might say, right? And this whole thing with including Gentiles. Now, we might say, oh, times have changed. Well, they have individually. I think individually, you know. Uh, but, uh, but still, this is generally speaking uh, how uh, our movement, and even you know, in our own city, how we as a, as a group, as a, as a congregation... Uh, are understood. Tolerated, maybe. I think that probably there's some confusion now as to, well, why do they, like, why do they meet on Shabbat? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? Well, you know, it's been my experience, maybe not yours, but it's been my experience that the answer to that question is that's how they lure in unsuspecting Jews. Okay? That, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I've had that told to, told to me, you know, uh, and not, uh, you know, decades and decades ago. OK, and that's, you know, uh, that is uh, important to understand. And uh, of course, it's important for us, just like Paul, to maintain a good testimony here. We see what he does in Jerusalem. You can't help how people react and respond. You know, all we can, all we're responsible for is how we conduct ourselves. And like Paul, we try to conduct ourselves and as like, so to speak, good citizens of the community, yet not shying away from our testimony uh, of the Messiah. And so that's why we can really relate uh, very much uh, here uh, uh, to, to Paul. Now let's see what he says and then what we can um, uh, get out of this. So he says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. So this is important. He, this is a defense. This is not an evangelistic uh, speech. It's a defense of who he is and what drives him. Okay. Uh, he says that right away. Hear my defense. And then he also says, brethren and fathers. This is, this is both interesting and ironic. Okay, by saying brethren and fathers, uh, he is identifying with the, uh, you know, with this community. Okay, my brothers and fathers, of course, he's not talking about dads here. Okay, he's talking about teachers. I, uh, you know, fathers is a, is a very important word in, uh, you know, in, in the Jewish world. Perhaps you've heard of Pirkei Avot. Sayings of the fathers, right? Uh, you know, the, the learned people. Uh, let's leave it at that, the learned people. And uh, if, you know, you can look up on your own the places where he refers to about the promise of the fathers. So the fathers referred to the learned people, also uh, the, the patriarchs, uh, you know, the, the, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and the prophets, and then beyond them, even to the contemporary day. So it is interesting that he uses that terminology. He recognizes their position. He's not coming as a stranger. You know, 
uh, he's not coming as um, me versus you. He says, I am you. And he's going, to make that, he's going to make that clear here. There's something else here that's really ironic. Okay, If you go back to uh, Acts chapter 7. Okay, remember where Paul was when Stephen was given his speech and then he gets stoned? He's holding the, he's, he, he is the guy in charge of the coat room, right? He's holding the coats. He's like there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, at the beginning of Stephen's speech, talk about irony. Stephen says, hear me, brethren and fathers. Hear me, brethren and fathers. Now here is Paul in chains, speaking out in Jerusalem, and he says, brethren and fathers, hear my defense. So there's a lot of irony in this, in this speech. We'll see more of it, actually, if we have time to mention it. But. So now he says, okay, he spoke in the Hebrew dialect, right? He says, and when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. So now they're listening to him. Perhaps they're surprised. Well, you know, everything that we have been told about you, maybe it's not all true. I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, the Torah, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. That's very important. Just like you. I know you. I am you. You know, and you may remember me. Because another irony here is the, uh, the authorities were still, generally speaking, the authorities. And if you remember that Paul was sent out to Damascus to go and round up those, those traitors, those messianic Jews, and bring them back to Jerusalem, right? And now he is one of them. I mean, it, 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 there's, it, it, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing. So he says, I am a Jew. Notice he doesn't say, I used to be a Jew, or I'm a completed Jew, uh, or I'm a Christian Jew, uh, or even a Messianic Jew. He says, I'm just like you. I don't have to give the qualifier every time of exactly who I am. You know, the people there, they were, they were zealots, they were Pharisees, they were Sadducees, they were people of the land, they were all kinds of, of uh, slices of the pie in the Jewish world. But he just says, I am a Jew, okay? And I'm from uh, a Tarsus, but brought up here and educated under Gamliel. Now, you know, he has said this before. We, we've talked about this. Uh, and Luke wants us to make sure that this does not pass us by, right? When he writes, when he writes it, educated under Gamaliel. That is no small thing. Gamaliel is a major figure in the Jewish world. In fact, I shared this with, with us when, um, in chapter six of Acts, when Gamaliel is mentioned, you know, when he says, don't do away with these people. You know, if, if it's of God, it will last. You know, when Gamaliel says that. When I was investigating the claims of Yeshua and I saw his name there, that gave it some credence. Just the fact that I see that name in the, in the New Testament, all I expected was St. Peter, St. John, St. Paul, or, you know, or any of that. But here I see Gamaliel. Oh, whoa, yeah. Uh, and so here we see Paul's, he's saying, I, I'm educated just like you. Now, what's interesting about that is, if you're a Jewish believer here today, if you grew up Jewish and you came to know the Lord, and you were, and you had some kind of conversation with someone, a, a rabbi or someone in a synagogue, invariably they would say to you, well, you didn't get the right education, evidently. Right? Right? Right. You didn't get the right education because, or, or there's something wrong with you because you would not, you would not believe this way if you were a normal person. You would not believe this way if you had the right, the right Jewish education, right? 
Uh, and, and if you had the right identity, if you had the right people around you, Paul is saying, I had all the right people around me, see? Okay? And so, I am you. And now he goes on to say this. You know how in our Brichad uh, portion, Paul reminds them, the chief of sinners, right? This never left him. He remembers very well who he was. He does not let his past uh, guide him. He does not let it control him. But he remembers it because it, to him, understanding the, the, the grace and mercy of God in saving him was, uh, you know, was something uh, that uh, obviously changed his life uh, forever. And, and oftentimes he, he inculcates that. So he says here, and I persecuted this way, that the way, capital W, uh, was uh, a, a term for these early uh, Jewish believers, right? And I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison. That was me. And also, as the high priest and the council of the elders can testify, now it was Caiaphas, uh, you know, earlier on. Now it's now it's it's a different high priest. But he's but he they evidently remember him, and you still have the council of the elders, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. And now he shares his testimony. Now he shares what happened to him. And it came about that as I was on my way approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Yeshua the Nazarene, whom you are, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me beheld the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that will be appointed for you for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came to Damascus. So when you read, there's about three or four versions of this in Acts, and each one adds a little bit. We know here it was noontime. That's something that we learn here. It's noontime. And so the bright light that he saw was brighter than the sun. I mean, you know, it was uh, unmistakable. And he refers to Yeshua as Lord. He refers to Yeshua as Lord. In that context, among Jewish people, God is the one you call Lord, right? Uh, and, and of course, is, the answer is Yeshua the Nazarene. That's very important. Because they knew that, wait, he was crucified. He was crucified. But now he's alive again. You saw him, okay? Not some angel, you know, or just some agent of God. But you saw Yeshua of Nazareth, okay? After he was dead. And he and this is the one that Paul is saying, I, I recognize, he's saying, I recognized who he was. The one that I had misunderstood. The one that I had persecuted. Now I recognize he is indeed the one. And so he goes to, uh, he goes to Damascus and it says, and a certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews lived there. So this is important. Luke wants us to know, he includes this and Paul says it so that they would know that the person that I went to, so now you know who I, you know who I am. Not only that, but the person that I went to was uh, someone recognized, uh, you know, uh, of one of a great reputation in the Jewish world, in the Jewish community, uh, and 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 that you know that's the one that, that that I went to, spoken well by all the Jews who live there, came to me and standing near said to me, "Brother Saul, receive your sight." And at that very time, I looked up at him. 
And he said, the God of our fathers, very important phrase, the God of our fathers. What Paul is communicating, he's saying, this is who I am. I'm just like you. You may even remember me as a persecutor of this way. I had this experience on the way to Damascus, you know, where it's like I saw the bot call, <laughs> you know, or I heard, you know, the voice from on high, the voice of God, and it's Yeshua the Nazarene, and I recognized him, and I did what he said to do. I go to Damascus, and I don't run into some Greek or something. I go to this this Jewish person's home that's spoken of well, uh, you know, by the Jewish uh, community, right? And now he tells me what I'm supposed to do, and it begins with the God of our fathers, not some different God, not some Greek God, not some new uh, deity, but the God of our fathers. You know, when we, uh, when we pray the Amidah, we begin with Avot, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who we're talking to. And so here, Paul is making it very clear. I'm one of you. The person who I, the person who I went to, you know, is one of us, right? And my calling is from Hashem. My calling is from the God of Israel the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not something different. So he says, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. Now, this is very interesting, of course. Uh, the righteous one, okay? Uh, where do we read the righteous one? Well, very interestingly, if we go back to Isaiah 53... Okay, in verse 11, describing the suffering of the Messiah in Isaiah 53, 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. The righteous one, the Messiah in the Tanakh is the righteous one. And then we also, I won't take the time, but in, in Acts uh, chapter 7, Stephen talks about Yeshua, calls him the righteous one, okay? And here I, I, we, we read, again, the righteous one. That is, to those hearers, to Paul and to the people around him, that is the Messiah. He saw the one who took our sins upon himself. And, and subsequently rose from the dead, right? And hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. That's what a witness is. What he has seen and heard. Now Paul is constrained by what he has seen and heard. He knows this to be true. He's had this experience in his life and and we know that now God has called him. And now why do you delay? Arise, be immersed, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Uh, you know, certainly it speaks back to what we read in Acts chapter 2. You know, what shall we do? Right? Believe, be immersed. All right? Uh, call on his name. And so he's saying, you know, you are... You have embraced Yeshua. You need to be identified with Yeshua and with those others who call upon his name. That's who you are now. Wow. You know, what a thing. I mean, I, I can't imagine it. I, to be dead set against, you know, Yeshua. Dead set against uh, Messiah followers. And then God does this work. That should be very encouraging to us. Right? Because you may have family, friends, what have you, that are just dead set against Yeshua. You know, it doesn't have to be Jewish. Whoever. Right? Right? But God is more powerful than that. God is more powerful than that. If he could save Paul or even someone like myself or, or some of you, 
that are kind of hard-headed and, uh, you, you, you know, uh, not, uh, not, not uh, easy uh, targets, so to speak, right? God can reach anybody. And so, so important for us to remember that. Then he says, And it came about when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple. Uh, what? He was praying in the temple. Uh, you know, you read in the rabbinic literature that the time people prayed in the temple was the time of sacrifices in the morning or the evening or whenever it might be. But isn't it interesting that he's here, he, you know, he did not stop being who he was. So he goes, he's in Jerusalem, right? Uh, he realizes that, you know, Yeshua is the Messiah. He, he understands himself to be a believer in Messiah Yeshua. He's in the temple. He's praying. And, it, and he has this ecstatic experience of some sort. Ecstatic experience of some sort. It says he fell into a trance. He was just sort of taken up, you, you know. And he talks about this kind of thing taking place in his life more than once. Uh, anyway, he says, now, and I saw him saying to me, now, you know, there's a, uh, I'm going to suggest, this is interesting, because he says, I saw him saying to me, You'll notice back when he was on the road to Damascus, he was not in a trance. He doesn't say, I was in a trance. He doesn't say, like, I, I entered into this, like, the third heaven or something. No, he actually saw Yeshua. He saw a bright light. He saw Yeshua, the Nazarene, on the way to Damascus. It was not a vision. It was not a trance. It was the real deal. Okay? Now, here we know that it is a vision or a, an ecstatic experience because he says it is. Very important. And I, saw, and I saw him saying to me, hurry up, make haste, and get out of Jerusalem because they will not accept your testimony about me. Okay. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of thy, serve, of thy witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by, approving and watching out for the cloaks of those who were slaying him. In other words, I have some real capital here. You know, they, uh, they're going to remember who I am, and my testimony is going to be really powerful. Okay? And he said to me, oh, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, Paul, so hang out in Jerusalem, it'll be okay. No, that's not what it says, does it? He says, go. Doesn't it remind you a little bit of lech lecha? <laughs> a little bit of God saying to Abraham, go. You go. Go to the place that I will show you. You know? So he says, uh, here, go, for I will send you far away. Here, of course, to the Gentiles. <sighs> oh, my goodness. You know, so far, so good. So far, okay. He's one of us, okay? You know, there's a lot of beliefs uh, in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, okay, so he saw Yeshua the Nazarene. He goes to Damascus. He goes to, uh, you know, uh, uh, a person who's a from, right? A person who's, uh, you know, uh, well-known, well-spoken of in the Jewish community. And he tells him to go to Jerusalem. This all makes it, Paul, he says, I, okay, he says he prays in the temple, all right, maybe maybe uh, we have it wrong. Maybe there's maybe there's something to this. But then he touches the third rail for these people, right? Go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. What? To the Gentiles? How could this be? Now, he is saying this. This is in the this is back in the 50s. <laughs> okay? This was like in the late 50s. At this particular period of time in Jerusalem, it was not yet the, uh, you know, the war, the war had not broken out yet. There was still time for that. But there was getting to be more and more of an anti-Roman and anti-Gentile sentiment, uh, in, in Jerusalem. Okay. So they listened to him up to this statement and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. 
And as they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought to the barracks, stating that he should be examined by scourging, by whipping, so that he might find out the reason why they were shouting. Uh, this, like, what is it? What are they upset about? You know? And when they had stretched him out with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful you for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Okay, so to save a little time, they're going to say, of course, uh, you know, that would be against the law. And so uh, he says that uh, he's a Roman. They, Are you a Roman? He says, yes. And what's interesting is the commander says, yeah, you know, I bought my citizenship. You know, I was able to, with a bribe, of course, I bought it for a large sum of money. But Paul said, I was actually born a citizen. So this is very interesting. So now they recognize he's a Roman citizen, right? What's interesting uh, here, as we move on, you know, in future weeks, they're going, the, the Roman magistrates are going to be confounded because they can't, they can't really charge him with anything, but he won't go away. He's kind of like the, the guy with the, you know, the flypaper, you, you know? Uh, and of course, this was all according to the plan of God, uh, because he wanted to get to Rome, right? So he did not see this as a hindrance. This is a marvelous opportunity, right? Like he says, you know, when he writes uh, like in the beginning of Philippians, right? Okay, so uh, so what's interesting here, there's a lot of interesting things uh, about this. One is, one of the things we learn here is how he understands his own identity. When we think about everything we know about Paul, when you think about the letters and you see what's written here in the book of Acts, may I suggest that he uh, understood himself to have three identities, not three personalities, but three identities. Like we all have varieties of identities. We have an ethnic identity, we have a national identity, we have a spiritual identity. You know, we, we, they are identities, right? But they're not all equal. They're not all equal, and they're not all equal to Paul. And it's very interesting how we learn about them. I would suggest that his primary identity is in Messiah. You know, to live is Messiah, to die is gain. When you read in the letters, is he is enveloped in the person of Yeshua. He understands that Yeshua is living out his life, that his, you know, his primary identity is now in Messiah, right? Uh, he, you know, he says uh, things like, um, uh, everything was rubbish, but, you know, but Yeshua, you read all of that, right? So his primary identity uh, is in Messiah, in Messiah, like everybody else that's in Messiah, one in Messiah, right? But then quite clearly, he understands himself to be a Jew. I mean, he understands that to be a Jew, without qualifiers, I'm Jewish, you know, I am secure in my identity. I identify myself as a Jew. Uh, later on, we'll see, he goes even to more, in more detail in future speeches about, as we would say, just how Jewish I am, you, you know? Uh, like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's nothing that you can, I am Jewish. Okay, so may I say that is his next identity. His third identity, and these are all in in terms of value and importance. So first, in Messiah. It's not this way. It's this way. Okay? In Messiah, Jewish, and the third one is Roman. And the Roman one, he, that's like the, that, he pulls out the Roman card. Right? Uh, In other words, he uses that. That is, he, he doesn't say, hey, I'm a Roman and I love Caesar and, you know, and so I'm a, you know, I, I love being a Roman in every sense of the term. He uses his Roman identity to further the cause of Messiah and not as an end unto itself. Because his primary identity in Yeshua controls everything else. It's very important. Okay. And I'm sure, you know, we, we need to understand is my primary identity in Messiah more than anything else. I want to be identified with Messiah. When people see me, I want them to be able to say, that's a guy who follows the Messiah. Okay. Everything else comes after it, but they all have, it's very interesting. 
because his Jewish identity clearly is also who he is. He doesn't simply use his Jewish identity. He is Jewish. He says, I, you know, I want to, I want to be in Jerusalem in time for Shavuot. It was part of his way of life. But his Roman identity, born a Roman citizen, that is very unusual. Born a Roman citizen, that he pulls out basically to save his life and to further his agenda of getting to Rome. So that's very interesting, okay? Uh, all right. Uh, and so um, I, there, there's something else that we, can, that we learn here uh, besides uh, you know, just learning what Paul did. And I'll just say this. The power of a personal testimony. Basically, what he shares is his story. He's not quoting lots of scripture here. He, you know, he's not giving uh, the kurgama. He's not telling the good news here. He basically is telling his story. Never underestimate the power of your story. Sometimes we might say, you know, I never, I don't think I have anything that I could, I could say to anybody, uh, you know, about Yeshua because, you know, I'm not like those guys. I can't point to this verse and then go to that verse and go to this verse. But you know what? Here is something, here is breaking news. 99% of anybody that you would ever want to share the good, that, in other words, someone who is not a Messiah follower and you have the opportunity to talk to about spiritual things, I'm going to say that maybe almost 99% don't care what verse you quote. You know what I mean? Uh, or, or ready to receive some kind of theological truth. But you know what most people are really interested to hear? Is your story. Tell me about yourself, you know? And of course, the journey today, today the popular terminology today is the journey story, you know? how you got to where you are, how you became a Messiah follower. You know, just yesterday I, I had lunch with Jack and, and, I, and I have a mind like a sieve and I know that he's probably told me this like, you know, before, but I asked him about, you know, I, you know, how did you, what's your story? I mean, Jack, like many people, has a very interesting story, grew up a, a Jewish, uh, went to the Marines, accepted the Messiah, uh, you know, came back, came back here, ends up in a particular, uh, uh, you know, situation like a, a church setting, meets his wife, goes to school, ends up back in Israel. I mean, it's a really interesting story about how God works in a person's life. And I think that for many of us, this is why the, the most powerful story we have is that I'm walking with the Lord, you know, and, and why is that? You know, how did you... How did you ever encounter Jesus? How did you ever encounter the Messiah? I don't, I don't understand, you know? Uh, and, and so never underestimate the power of your story. Paul did not take this opportunity to say, okay, now I'm going to go to this passage, and I'm going to go to this passage, and I'm going to go to this passage. Let me tell you about myself. Let me tell you how I encountered the Messiah and the difference that he made in my life and, you know, and, and uh, I sort of took a left turn. And this is how I ended up where I am. All those things you're saying about me are not true because this is who I am. Very powerful. So never underestimate the power of your story, okay? Because everybody's story is different. That's, that's, that's a wonderful thing also. Everybody's story is different. And you have something to say. The only time our story is negated is when we don't have a good testimony. When we're, you know, we, uh, we are living in such a way that uh, it would be an embarrassment to, uh, to the Messiah, right? Then, then our story is not as effective, see? Okay, one other thing here, all right, that, uh, that we want to say, and that is, notice that he says uh, here, uh, he says, Brother Saul, receive your sight, and at that time, I looked up at him and he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men what you have seen and heard. Okay. He, it's very interesting. He says that the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one. In other words, you did not realize this, but before you had any knowledge or, you know, understanding of Yeshua, God was leading you on a path. 
God was leading you on a way that you would have this encounter with God. You know, there's a uh, last Tuesday night in our Chavurah group, we're in between Hebrews and Micah in our Chavurah group, we talked about Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 made me think when I was studying for, for this, uh, it, it made me think of Psalm 139. Uh, you, you know, because uh, we read uh, here, uh, in verse, beginning in verse 13. Well, let me just say, you know, the first 12 verses uh, of one, uh, Psalm 139 uh, he, he's saying, you, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. He repeats the word no over and over again. Uh, you know, you understand, you scrutinize me. You know every single thing about me. You know what I'm thinking. You know what I almost said, but I didn't say. You know what I'm going to say. It's too much for me. There's nowhere that I can run away from you if I wanted to run away. There's nowhere I could run away because you're there. You, you never leave me. You'll never forsake me. There's nowhere I can go from your presence. Okay. And even if I try to run away, you continually protect me. And then he says, now in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now that's far beyond any of us can understand. Volumes, literal wars have been fought over these words, right? But the point is, for us, of what he's saying is, you've known me since conception. You've known me forever. There's no part of me you don't know. And you have ordered my steps. I can't get over it. You know? And the thing is, the only time anybody can really appreciate that is in retrospect. You know? Not like, oh, God is... See, that's how we, that's how we unfortunately... I uh, twist uh, uh, some of these words sometimes, uh, you know, but it's always in retrospect that you have led me. You brought me to where I am. And so isn't it a marvelous thing, you know, that uh, here a Paul now recognizes that this has all been part of what you've been doing. And I think that when, when we receive Messiah into our lives and the Ruach HaKodesh is living in us, there's this sense of destiny, that we have this sense of destiny, that, you know, when we look forward, we have a hope, right? We have a hope. We know that, you know, you know there's a difference. I've said this before probably, right? There's a difference between optimism and hope, right? Optimism is things are looking up, so that means things might get better. Right? Pessimism is things are not looking good and they're going to get worse. Hope doesn't change. Hope is not based on current events. Hope is based on the word of God. So we have this hope and Peter calls it a living hope. A hope of the future that affects the way we think, the way we live, the way we conduct ourselves today. Right? But you can also go the other direction and say, Yes, I have a destiny, but it didn't begin right now. God has had his hand on me. I would have never understood it or known it. I can't even understand it, but he's had his hand on me, you know? And so when you come back to Paul here in uh, Acts chapter 22, that's basically, that's basically what he says. And so may we be encouraged today when we are misunderstood, when uh, uh, people... Uh, you know, make all kinds of accusations uh, 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 on us because of our trust and faith in Messiah and who we are. Recognize that your story is very powerful. Your story can change lives, okay? Not only that, but recognize that God has had his hand on you and he continues to have his hand on you. Even uh, when uh, there is pressure even when there are accusations, right? 
Uh, and then recognize that our primary identity, like his, was, was in the Messiah. But he didn't stop being the human being that he was. He still was, uh, you know, a Jew from, from Tarsus and raised in this, uh, and raised in this city. And then finally recognize that here, you know, God calls us to varieties of different things. For him, God had called him to the Gentiles, right? He saw this as part of his Jewish calling was going to the nations. In fact, you know, and I'll finish with this. In Acts 15, not Acts, not Acts, not Acts, uh, Romans, Romans 15, uh, he says this in verse uh, 8. For I say that Messiah has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promise given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles. And he goes on. Uh, and his, his point here is, is down in verse um, 15. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Messiah, issue to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest of the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Ruach. He understands his going to the Gentiles as part of his calling. If we had time, I turn to Isaiah 66 and read the very end uh, about Gentiles coming from far away and being brought in. Uh, and of course, there's lots and lots of other places as well. So he understood this was his calling as a Jew. Uh, and so very important for us. Part of our testimony here at Beth Messiah is uh, a community of, of Jews and, and Gentiles together, of varieties of uh, ethnicities together, one in Messiah. Uh, you know, and of course, primarily being a, um, a, a testimony of the reality of the Messiah of Israel and to Israel, quite clearly, right? Uh, and so that's why when we uh, come to a passage like this, uh, may we be energized and may we recognize that, wow, you know, he had a lot going against him, but boy, the power of his story made a pretty big difference. And so it may the power of our story make a difference as well. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, God, uh, thank you uh, for this testimony. Thank you, God, that you can take anybody. You can take people that have the most uh, rough pasts, uh, people that uh, would never have anything to do with you, and you can break them down. You, God, uh, can uh, change a heart. It's not about us. It's not about our words. It's not about, you know, this and that. It's, it's about you. And so, uh, God, um, uh, I pray, Lord. I pray for all of the people that uh, we might be thinking about right now who are family members or friends who we're concerned about. May you, God, reach into their hearts just like you did Saul on the way to Damascus. And we pray in Messiah's name.